0: Well, good morning, everyone, and Happy New Year. Where were you for the 8.30 service? (laughs) Exactly, sleeping. So I so appreciate you all being here on New Year's Day, and let's get our year started off right with the Word of God, right? It's so good to see so many of you, some familiar faces, some unfamiliar faces, but so far don't see any unfriendly faces, so I'm happy about that. And so uh, if you brought your Bibles, I want you to go ahead and get your Bibles out. If you like to use a hard copy Bible, please go ahead. If you use a digital Bible, I want everyone to go to the book of John chapter 8. John chapter 8. I'm going to encourage everyone to take notes. Statistics show that you remember 10% of what you hear. 50% of what you hear and write down and 90% of what you hear, write down and speak. So oftentimes people say, what'd you get out of church? Nothing. Well, were you on Facebook and Snapchat and TikTok? No wonder you didn't get anything out of church. Okay, So if you're going to use digital, I would encourage you to try to stay as focused as you can, and uh, I bring you greetings from Pastor Ty and Heather and their family who are out of town, enjoying some much-needed vacation time, and they will be back in a few days. I would encourage you, if this is your first time to Cowboy Junction, make sure you come back to get the Pastor Ty experience. You want to make sure that you get that. So if you would, bow with me for a moment into privacy and concentration, and let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this time, Lord. Father, we thank you for this opportunity to gather in your house on this first day of the year to get our priorities set, Lord. Father, over these next few moments, for those that are in attendance, those that are watching online, and those who will watch later, Father, I thank you that you would think through my thoughts, speak through my lips, and help me to say exactly what needs to be said to help bring some freedom to those that are in attendance and those watching. And we thank you for these things. in the name that is above every name, the mighty name of Jesus. And everyone said... Amen. And again, thank you so much for being here. How many of you would say, Steve, 2022 had some rough spots in it? Would you raise your hand? If your hand ain't up, you lie about other things. You know you can't trust them, okay? For some of you, 2022 went by in a blur. For some of you, you had pockets where there were some really rough stretches in your personal life, your professional life, and probably a combination of things in between. I've been there. I lived that as well. So I want you to take a look at the book of John, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. We are in the New Testament, and Jesus is here. Anytime you see red letters, that's some hot words ready to be spoken, so you want to make sure you pay close attention to that. I'm going to start in John chapter 7, verse 53, the last verse of of chapter 7. It says, and everyone went to his own house. John chapter 8, verse 1. But Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. Now we know that he often did this to go in the morning to pray before he meant to go deal with people, which is always a good thing to pray before you go deal with people at work. Amen? Okay. Verse 2. Now early in the morning, he came again into the temple and all the people came to him. Pause. Where is he right now? Is he on the Mount of Olives anymore? No, where is he now? In the temple. 2023 version is also known as where is he he's in church okay Jesus is in church and he and all the people came to him and he sat down and he taught them okay then the scribes and the Pharisees brought to him a woman caught in adultery and when they had set her in the midst they said to him teacher This woman was caught in adultery in the very act. Time out. Let's pause. Let's pretend that Jesus Christ himself is now at Cowboy Junction Church on January 1st, 2023 at 9924 North Catchings Road, Hobbs, New Mexico, 88242. Instead of me. And he is here. The Bible says he's sitting down and teaching the people. This is him instead of me, crouched down teaching the people. And then all of a sudden the doors swing open and a half-naked woman is brought right here in front of Jesus, in front of all of you, in all her birthday suit, and then they said, we caught her doing something. Paints a different visual, doesn't it? Because oftentimes when we read this parable like I did before I started studying for this, I always had this visual that this woman was out in the field somewhere, that Jesus was in the field and that they brought her in there, but no, they brought her inside the church to try to publicly shame her. Now, verse five, it says, (laughs) this is the Pharisee said, now Moses in the law commanded us that such should be stoned. But what do you say? What do you think was the posture of this woman being brought before the temple in front of Jesus and all the people? Was she standing up there going, hey, everybody, look at me. Was she doing that? No, we don't know if she had time to grab a sheet. We don't know if she had time to grab a towel or anything to cover up while she was in the midst of all these people. So you get a visual of kind of crouched down, guilt, shame, embarrassed in front of all these people. And then then here the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the scribes are saying, the law says we need to kill her right now and we need to stone her. Wow, it's pretty intense. Kind of sounds like cancel culture today, doesn't it? Someone does one thing wrong and they want to cancel you for forever. So I looked up the law as what does the law say about this? And we're going to put it up here on the screen. Leviticus 20 verse 10 says, if a man commits adultery with another man's wife, with the wife of his neighbor, both the adulterer and the adulteress must surely be put to death. They want to quote Moses. This is the law. Deuteronomy 22 verse 22 says, if a man is found lying with another man's wife, both the man who slept with her and the woman must die. So if we're quoting the law here like they're doing, who is missing from this picture? The man. Where's this home dude at? They got the lady here crying down in shame. Where's the dude? Because we want to quote the law, right? She did wrong. But according to the law, the man should have been there with her. Where is he? Maybe he was one of the ones levying accusations. Maybe he was in the crowd too going, yeah, tell her. Tell her what she did wrong. But how come we never stop to talk about the Pharisees where the Bible says that she was caught in the act of adultery? What were they doing? (laughs) Nope, got her, get her. But yet, we don't ever want to talk about their part in breaking the law here. So in, back to John chapter 8, now we're in verse 6. This they said, testing him that they might have something of which to accuse him. Pause. Does this really have anything to do with the woman caught in the act of adultery? No. No. This has everything to do with a religious system who is angry at Jesus for preaching the truth. But Jesus stooped down and wrote on the ground with his finger as though he did not hear, okay? Catch a visual of this. I want you to imagine, take a look at all the people around you in here. Imagine if all of you were screaming at me at the top of your lungs. Kill her, stone her. she deserves to die, did Jesus acknowledge their hate? No, what did he do? This is incredible. He stoops down and he starts writing in the dirt. And the Bible says he acted as if he didn't even hear them. Now, if you've got children in here, you know exactly what this feels like when your kid's been bugging you for 30 minutes to go to McDonald's. You have selective hearing. I wanna go, I wanna go, I wanna go. Goes in one ear. Out the other one right there, right? So here's Jesus in the outer courts of the temple. They had dirt there in the temple at the time, and he's just stooped down, messing around, riding on the dirt. Catch a visual of this. <laughs> so they, when they continued asking him, he raised himself up and said to them, okay, he who is without sin among you, let him throw a stone at her first. Mic drop moment Jesus was a mic dropper He could say things in one line that just made you go Dang Verse 8 And again he stooped down and wrote on the ground So he said what he needed to say He said alright if none of y'all ever done anything wrong Go ahead and throw the first stone (laughs) Went back down Riding in the dirt again This is an incredible scene So there he is stooped down Verse 9 then those who heard it, being convicted by their conscience, went out one by one, beginning with the oldest, even to the last. And Jesus was left alone, and the woman standing in the midst. Verse 10. When Jesus had raised himself up and saw no one but the woman, he said to her, Woman, where are those accusers of yours? You know what you got to love about Jesus? He's the only one in human history that can get away with calling a female woman and not get slapped in the face for it. Woman? Where are your accusers? Has no one condemned you? She said, no one, Lord. And Jesus said to her, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. So when she was wrongly brought in and thrown in to be embarrassed and shamed, what was this woman expecting when she was thrown in front of the temple, in front of everybody? What was she expecting in the next 30 seconds? Death by stoning. Imagine how gruesome of a death that is, that you were cowered in the fetal position, trying to cover yourself up through your nakedness, and you will die by boulders being thrown on you. It's brutal. So there she is, crouched down. She can hear all of the accusations. But yet there's this rabbi, this teacher, playing in the dirt right next to her. She's writing on the ground. Many theologians have tried to guess what Jesus was writing on the dirt. Many have speculated that he was writing the sins of the people who were accusing her. But the God that I serve doesn't keep record of wrongs. So I doubt he was writing sins down. Can I tell you what Steve Sucida's version of what I think he was doing? He was writing the scores of the Dallas Cowboys. No, I'm just kidding, he wasn't doing that. He was probably stooped down doodling As if to say, are you done? Are you done? Because I got something to say. And then notice this is so key. They started to leave from the oldest to the youngest. And then Jesus raised up, saw no one but the woman. So I want you to catch this here. When you are in the darkest season of your life, even if you're guilty, even if you have done it, When everyone has abandoned you, when everyone has walked out on you, when everyone has turned their back on you and you wiped the mascara and the tears and the hair from your eyes and she looked up, who did she see? One person, Jesus. And that still rings true today in 2023 when all seems lost and the accusers are coming for you and you look up, who is still standing there? Jesus. So woman, where are those accusers of yours? Has no one condemned you? She said, no one, Lord. And Jesus said to her, neither do I condemn you. Now go and sin no more. Anyone in here ever been in a pit before? I have. Sometimes of our own doing, or sometimes something that's been done to us. It's a little bit of both. How many times have we ever been in that pit and we said something like this? I deserve this. I deserve to be in this dark place because I've sinned we get this twisted, inaccurate interpretation of the gospel that somehow self-infliction and self-pity, guilt, and shame can do us some good. Wrong. It does you no good. It actually makes it darker. Do you know what shame is like? Shame is like a mushroom. It grows in darkness. Mushrooms grow in darkness. And the longer you keep it hidden, the more it begins to take control over you. So the way that you do it is you start to shed light on it. But it should be noted about something. Jesus never once, while the men are accusing her, he never brought up her sin. Not once did he go, did you do this? I mean, you can tell me. It's just you and me. Did you do this? Did she know that she had done this? She was guilty. But there was only one way that this woman was going to get out of this situation alive. And you know what that is? Jesus. Jesus was the only one who could get there out. How many of you have ever heard this statement? Maybe you've made this statement, if this is you, keep your hand down and no one know we're talking about you. You ever heard this statement? Steve, I just like to tell it like it is. I'm just brutally honest. What you see is what you get. So put this next statement up there for me. Those who boast about being brutally honest are usually more brutal than honest. They focus on the hurtful Instead of the truth. Two statements in this world that never end well. Number one, no offense, but. What's about to come out of their mouth? Something offensive. How about this one? I don't mean to be rude, but. Guess what's about to come out of their mouth? Something rude. So, next statement. We can speak truth while also showing grace. Grace without truth is meaningless. Truth without grace is mean, but grace and truth together is medicine. Too much truth is, you're just protocol, policy, you do this, you die. That's what the law was. If you don't follow the letter of the law, we're gonna put you to death. Grace is, oh, you can do whatever you want, it's completely fine, grace covers a multitude of sin. But John chapter 1 verse 14 says that Jesus came full of grace and truth. He showed her grace by sparing her life, but then he spoke some truth in the very end. What did he say? Neither do I condemn you, but now don't go do that anymore. Yes, sir. I'm going to give you the grace to do what you need. Next statement, don't beat yourself up so much that you can't receive the grace that God gave you to change. So many times in our life, we've been hurt by people. I've been hurt by people, but guess what? Here's the other side of the coin that we never like to talk about. We always like to talk about the people that hurt us, but here's where the rubber meets the road. How about the people that we've hurt? We never like to talk about that. When I post that on social media, that doesn't get near the likes of a statement when I talk about that people did you wrong. Because we never wanna stand in front of a mirror, and that's what this whole message is. Me preaching to myself as well. But friends, God will give you grace for your greatest embarrassment. And listen to this, it's not up on the screen, but I would encourage you to write this down. Grace means that all of our mistakes serve a purpose instead of serving shame. Grace means that all of our mistakes serve a purpose instead of serving shame. Let me say it one more time. Grace means that all of our mistakes serve a purpose instead of serving shame. Did you do it? Probably. Are you sorry for it? Yeah, you are. But now, what are you going to do with it? Because so oftentimes, our life is designed to be moving forward. But when we get stuck in a situation, maybe something that we did or something that was done to us, we get stuck. We put it in neutral or we put it in park. But see, you can never, ever get to your destiny if you're living in your history. Let me say that again. You cannot get to your destiny if you are living in your history. If you have it on an endless loop of all your mistakes, of all the things you did wrong, of all the things that were done wrong to you, family, you will never move forward into the plan and the purpose that God has for you because the enemy will keep you stagnant. That's exactly where he wants to keep all of us. Next statement up there. Bad decisions are not without consequence, but within the frame of grace, they are never beyond redemption. Bad decisions are not without consequence, but within the frame of grace, they are never beyond redemption. Let's go back to this woman. Had she done wrong? Yes or no? Yes, Yes, she had. Bad decision, not without consequence. Steve, what's her consequence? Oh, I don't know. Buck naked in church in front of God and everybody? With all your stuff on blast for everyone to see, that sounds like a pretty bad consequence. But within the frame of grace, she met the one person at the right time who could set her free, who could offer her the forgiveness that she needed. But friend, here's the key. Jesus forgives us when we ask. But my question is, have you forgiven yourself? Because guilt is toxic. Maybe you've had some of these situations Maybe you've had those instances in your relationships or in your marriage and you're trying to work through it and praise God for it, but if you don't forgive yourself, you are prone to repeat the same mistakes because you gotta receive the same grace that Jesus shown to you. So here's what religion says. God will love you if. That's religion. God will love you if you do this, but the gospel says God loves you even if. Huge difference religion says i messed up my dad is going to kill me but the gospel says i messed up i need to call my dad religion when we mess up makes us run from god i messed up he, had, he could never use me again. You have no idea what I've done, Steve. You don't know have an idea what I've said. You don't know what I look at. You don't know the things behind the scenes. But friend, let me tell you something today. He knows the worst about you, but believes the best about you. Even when you don't see it in yourself, he has not given up on you. And oftentimes in church, This building, this church building, this is not the church. You know what the church is? You are the church. The church is made up of people. The building is where we gather on Sundays, Wednesdays, or whatever the case might be. But oftentimes, that's why there are some people who aren't even in the building right now who are simply watching from behind the screen because they gave up on being part of a church because when they thought of church, they pictured perfect people. But then they came to church and they got offended because the pastor didn't shake their hand. Because the worship team didn't play their favorite song. Because it didn't meet up to their expectations. And that's what disappointment is when it doesn't meet up to the expectation. But guess what? If you want to hook up with the church, there's one thing you got to understand. We are all an imperfect people being loved by a righteous God. So if you're looking for a perfect church, you will keep looking until you go meet Jesus. Because there is no such thing. One of my favorite things is when people would say, Steve, I don't like going to church. Ain't nothing but a bunch of hypocrites up in the church. You know what my favorite thing to say is? Cool, we got room for one more. (laughs) Because we've all sinned. We've all fallen short. Oftentimes when we fall short, we want to run away from God because the enemy wants to make us feel shame and guilt, which is toxic. But when you are sick, Do you run from the doctor? No, you run to the place that can help get you well. So when we have messed up, we have got to stop running from the arms of the father, but running to the arms of the father because he is the one who has the grace that we need to get better. And let me tell you this, I'd rather attend church with messed up people who love God than religious people who dislike messed up people. The church is not a country club. The church is a hospital for the wounded and for the hurting. And that doesn't mean that you've only been a Christian for three months. This could be a Christian for 30 years. We need Jesus as much as the day we accepted him as the day that we need him right now. We need him every single day, not just when we're in the valley. So I want you to stay in the book of John. And I want you to go 10 chapters later to chapter 18. Stay in the book of John and go with me down to now to John chapter 18. And as you are getting there, let me set the stage. Jesus has now been preaching for three and a half years. He's got his band of disciples. He started with 12, then one went a little crazy named Judas. So now he's got 11. And he's been telling his disciples for three and a half years, hey, the reason that I came was to die for your sins. They're going to arrest me. They're going to murder me. They're going to hang me to a cross. But don't worry, in three days, I'll be back. And the Bible records 27 different miracles that he did. These 11 men saw this man walk on a tempestuous sea. He walked on water. They saw him raise a young girl from the dead. They saw him take five loaves and two fish and multiply it to feed about 15,000 people. But yet, when he died, they were like, game over. I guess we got to go home even after everything that they had seen. But let's show a little bit of grace to the disciples because don't we get in doubt just as much as they do? God says, trust me, but then we're like, how? When? Como? For those Spanish speakers. How are are you going to do this? So John chapter 18. Jesus has been in the Garden of Gethsemane. He's praying. He's travailing. He tells the Father, if there's any way not to do this, but not my will, your will be done. So now we're in the Garden John chapter 18, verse 1, it'll be on the screen. After saying these things, Jesus crossed the Kidron Valley with his disciples and entered a grove of olive trees. Judas, the betrayer, knew this place because Jesus had often gone there with his disciples. Verse 3, the leading priests and Pharisees had given Judas a contingent of Roman soldiers and temple guards to accompany him. Now with blazing torches, lanterns, and weapons, they arrived at the olive grove. Time out, pause, let's make it real. Mind you, these disciples, these men, they're fishermen, they're tax collectors, they're normal people. These are not the Avengers, okay? This is not Iron Man, this is not the Justice League, this is not Superman and Batman. These are real people. Now mind you, Jesus kept telling them, pray that you not fall into temptation. But the disciples kept falling asleep. It was New Year's Eve. They couldn't wake up on New Year's Day to make it on time for the eight thirty service. No shame. I'm glad you're here. Okay, so they're sleepy. They're falling asleep. How do you feel when you are jolted up from a deep sleep in the middle of the night? Be honest. Is it the praises of God that come out of your mouth? Are you thinking, "How can I bless this person?" In your thoughts, no. You're thinking murder one because they woke you up. You got nasty breath. You got crust in your eyes. It's all dark. You ever been in a dark room and then they shine the light on you? Sure you have. You're like, oh my God, it's like these lights that are on me right now. That's exactly how it feels. Now, mind you, you're the disciples and you're asleep and Jesus is over there literally praying for his life because he's about to be murdered. And the Bible says that there was a contingent of soldiers and temple guards. Look at this. What does it say? Coming with blazing torches, lanterns, and weapons. You're one of the disciples. Make it real. Don't just blaze over this stuff. Make it real. You're half asleep. Drool coming out of you. Jesus done woke you up three times and you're half passed out. It's dark in the middle of the night and you wake up and there's a torch and a soldier with a sword pulled at your face. How are you going to react? You're going to go change your shorts. That's what you're going to do. That's what I'm going to do. Someone's in my room with a blazing torch and lantern and a sword saying, where is he? I'm not gonna lie, I love y'all, I'd turn y'all in in three seconds, I ain't even lying. I'd be like, he over there, that's the one you want, you don't want me. Verse four. Oh, this is so powerful. Jesus fully realized all that was going to happen to him, so he stepped forward to meet them. This is key, this is key to everything I'm gonna talk about today. The 11 disciples are with him here. He sees the blazes, the torches, the weapons, the swords. He knows what's going to happen. So he steps forward. He said, who are you looking for? Now, here's one thing you've got to understand about Jesus in the entire Gospels. When he asks a question, he's not asking because he's dumb or he doesn't know the answer. He's setting everybody up every time he asks a question. <laughs> who are you looking for? They said, Jesus the Nazarene. They they replied, he said, I am he, Jesus said. Judas, who betrayed him, was standing with them. As Jesus said, I am he, they all drew back and fell to the ground. Time out. Pause. You ever stop to wonder why? You got to go back to the book of Exodus. When God spoke to Moses to go into Egypt, he said, I want you to go tell Pharaoh, tell my people to let my people go. And Moses, you got to remember, was a murderer at 40 and hid for 40 years before God called him through a burning bush. And then so Moses is now making excuses. He's like, but me, I can't talk. I got a stuttering problem. You can't send me. And he said, what name am I supposed to give Pharaoh? And God said the name, the greatest name given to the God of the ages. He said, you tell Pharaoh, I am who I am. I am the great I am. So Jesus now utters these same words. As Jesus said, I am he, they fell to the ground. And then once more, he asked him, I love the personality of Jesus. Now, mind you. This group of 50, 60 people are falling down. He said, who are you looking for? Jesus of Nazareth, I'm he, (laughs) fell on the ground. And they get back up, and Jesus in his infinite personality goes, no, seriously, who are you looking for? (laughs) Uh, We're looking for Jesus of Nazareth. Once more, seven, once more, he asked, who are you looking for? And again, they replied, Jesus of Nazarene. He said, I told you that I'm he. Jesus said, and since I'm the one you want, let these others go. That's so powerful. He did this to fulfill his own statement, I did not lose a single one of those you've given me. And then Simon Peter, oh Simon Peter, don't we love Simon Peter? Simon is my favorite person in all the Bible. You know why? Cuz I think he represents us more than anything. When he's next to Jesus, he sounds big and bad, but then when Jesus is gone, he denies and runs, just like we do most of the time. Then Simon Peter drew a sword and slashed off the right ear of Malchus, the high priest's slave. But Jesus said to Peter, put your sword back into its sheath. Shall I not drink from the cup of suffering the Father has given me? I didn't say this in first service, but I want to make sure I say it in this one. What was Peter's profession before Jesus called him? you remember? Someone said it. Fisherman. Out on a boat. Fish for a living. Is Peter an expert swordsman to be skilled enough to get the high priest's ear? Was he aiming for his ear? No. What was Peter swinging for? His head. He was angry. What do you do if you see a crazy bearded fisherman coming at you with the sword? You go Matrix. Whoa. You duck. So he got his ear. But you'll see in another account of the Gospels. That Jesus said, Peter, put your sword away. That's not what this is about, man. You don't understand. This is not about violence and fighting. But the Bible says in another passage, you know what he did? He picked up the ear and he put it back on the high priest servant's ear. So even in a time of detriments, Jesus is still performing miracles. But look at this. I want to go back to verse 4. The crowds are coming, they're coming for Jesus. The enemy is coming. His disciples are with him. Jesus finally realized, verse four, all that was going to happen to him. So what did he do? Catch a visual of this. He's got his disciples with him. And what does he do? I'm the one you're looking for. Steve, why is this so important? Because we live in a day and an age that tells you to step up and be a man. Step up and be a woman. Step up and be strong. But what my message to you this morning is, is not step up, but step back. These disciples could not win this battle. So I want you to put this next, step, next statement out for me. If you will step back and let Jesus step up, he will do for you what you cannot do for yourself. We got too many people stepping up. I need to be the strong leader. I need to show strength. I need to show people that I'm not afraid. And oftentimes we do what Peter does. We get our sword out, we start fighting. We start fighting and swinging. I'm, I, I gotta fight it off, I gotta pray harder, I gotta worship harder, I gotta volunteer more. Let, let everyone see my righteous acts and my devotion. And, but where did we go wrong, friends, to think that we have the capacity in our own strength to fight off the kingdom of darkness? Friend, can I tell you something? If you try to fight the enemy in your own strength, you will lose every time, and so will I. Could these disciples fight them off? No, they couldn't. The one person who could save them is he did this. He stepped up. In other words, saying this, I got this. You guys can't do this. This is me. I'm the one who's going to do this. So how do we make this relevant in 2023? When the enemy comes and he will, if you are a child of God, if you have accepted Jesus as your Lord, when the enemy comes and says, I've come for the depressed one, I know he's back there. You gotta let Jesus step up and go, I got this. I'm coming for the anxious one, I'm he. I'm coming for the adulterer, I'm he. I'm coming for the drunkard, I'm he. You gotta let Jesus do for you what you cannot do for yourself. James chapter one, verses 19 and 20, this is such a great verse. Understand this, my dear brothers and sisters, you must all be quick to listen, slow to speak, And slow to get angry. Time out. Does this at all sound like the social media world that we live in today? What happens when you and I get angry right away? We got to tell the whole world what we're thinking on social media. And then we get in trouble for it. Verse 20. Human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. Listen. How many of you have had someone do you wrong or stab you in the back at least once in your life? Did you raise your hand? Of course we have. Put your hand down. Now I'm not gonna ask you to raise your hand on this one. How many of you have done something wrong or stabbed someone in the back yourself? That's an even harder question to answer. But I want you to understand something. When it comes to our social media, if you are a follower of Jesus, if you call Jesus your Lord and God your Father, and I'm talking to you as much as I'm talking to me, The angry post, geared towards elected officials, whether it be a governor, whether it be a president, whether you disagree with them, bad-mouthing actors, celebrities, athletes, there is a 99.9% chance that person you're tweeting or Facebooking at is never going to see it. But you know who will? Your friends, your family, the people you go to church with, the people you work with. You're revealing the type of person that you are when you disagree with a policy that you don't like. So make sure that what we post is who we are as well. This is something we all have to work on, myself included. So James chapter 1, continuing on, says this, So get rid of all the filth and the evil in your lives and humbly accept the word God has planted in your hearts. Why? For it has the power to save your souls. But don't just listen to God's word. You must do what it says. Otherwise, you're only fooling yourselves. For if you listen to the word and don't obey it, it's like glancing at your face in a mirror. You see yourself, you walk away, and you forget what you look like. But if you look carefully into the perfect law that sets you free, and if you do what it says and don't forget what you heard, then God will bless you for doing it. If you have children in this room, have you ever told your kids at any point going, hey, all right, after this video game, after this level, I need you to hit pause and go clean your room or some nature of that. And you've probably heard some level of this. Oh yeah, I got it, cool, no problem. And then what happens? 30 seconds later, you still hear that video game and they've gone on to the next level. So their words, Albert said, I'm going to do it. But their action said, I'm gonna do it on my time. Next statement to have confidence in God's promises but not commitment to his process is delusional. That's reading the word, reading the word, coming to church, podcast, devotional, but then never applying it to our lives. Or like myself, you go to the gym for an hour every day and then you go eat three chocolate chip cookies. That's probably defeating the purpose, Steve. I'm breaking even at best. I'm not showing a whole lot of progress. So let's dispel a myth. You see it all over Pinterest, you see it all over Instagram, Twitter, you might even have said it yourself, it's full of Hallmark movies and Lifetime movies. If you love Hallmark movies, all 578 of them have the same plot. Girl goes to the big city, She's got a big city boyfriend, wears a suit, does well, goes back and sees the lumberjack that never left the small town in flannel. They fall in love, and the guy who gets out in the cold is the city boyfriend who's done nothing wrong. (laughs) Merry Christmas (laughs) to everyone but the boyfriend in the city. So you'll see this all over Disney. You see it in Disney movies, you see it in Hallmark, you see it in Lifetime. When the main character is distraught, they don't know what to do. And the wise old sage, the best friend, says, girl, just follow your heart. Your heart will never lead you wrong. And not only do you see it in those cheesy movies, but you hear it in life as well. But as a believer, can I show you something from the word of God of how dangerous it is to follow your heart? Jeremiah 17, verse 9 and 10 says, the human heart is the most deceitful of all things and desperately wicked. Who really knows how bad it is? Verse 10, but I the Lord search all hearts and examine secret motives. I give all people their due rewards according to what their actions deserve. How fickle are we as a people on a scale of one to 10? One being not fickle at all, 10 being very fickle. The answer, 53, okay? Let me tell you how I know that. Seasons. We are currently in the winter season. When it is summer in Lee County, what are we waiting for and praying for in the summer? Because it's 110 degrees, right? You go outside and you sweat everything off. Then the fall comes, and with the fall comes the wind. And we know what the wind does around here. Knocks our power out, knocks our trees out. We go, oh my God, can we just get some cold weather? And then not too long ago, we had four degree temperatures. And what were we praying for? For the sun to come and hit us in Lee County so we could have a little bit of heat. And then the spring comes and we've got more wind. 70 mile an hour winds and then what do we say? Oh my God, I cannot wait for summer. There's about two weeks within the year that's about 70 degrees that we're happy. All the other 50 weeks, we're mad. (laughs) Let me take that back. 50 weeks out of the year, I'm mad. Okay, let's just be honest here. It's those two weeks that I'm pleasant there. So if I don't trust my heart to guide me and show me what to do, Steve, what am I supposed to do then? Well, I'm so glad you asked. Proverbs chapter 3 verse 5. Let's get that up there. Trust in what? Your heart? Yourself? Your Facebook followers? A movie quote? Trust in the Lord with all your heart do not depend on your own understanding pause why does the writer of Proverbs say not to lean on our own understanding how often do we change our mind after this service you're going to get into a fight because someone can't make a decision on where to go eat can't lean on your own understanding we change all the time you watch too much Fox News, you're going to think one way. You watch too much CNN News, you're going to think another way. And there's nothing wrong with the news, but you've got to measure it against the standard of the Word of God. Fox News is not the standard of a Christian's life. CNN is not the standard of a Christian's life. The Bible is the standard for a Christian's life. Not a news source and not a social media platform. Verse 6, seek His will in all you do, and He will show you which path to take. Not that friend. Thank God for friends. Oh, I don't know if I should date him or not. Have you asked the Lord? Yes, he told me no. So what are you asking me for? Because you see, oftentimes we don't really want advice if we're asking more than three people. You ask more than three people, you don't want advice. You want affirmation. You want someone to agree with you. And you keep asking until someone agrees with you. Oh, thank God, I'm so glad that you see it my way. Yeah, 47 times a charm. But one of the things that we have to think about, and I'm gonna ask Albert and the worship team to make their way to the stage and I'm gonna land this plane. You do know if you ever preach when you have music behind you, it makes you sound extra spiritual, so keep that in mind. (laughs) One of the things that we have to consider that seems so taboo in this day and age is talking about weakness. Now I wanna show you something we have any dart players in the room? Someone likes to play darts? I'm not showing you this because I'm a great dart player. My own mother can beat me, so this is not me bragging about being a great dart player. But I wanna show you something. This right here changed my life in terms of relationships. And I'm gonna leave it right there because I wanna get back to it. But I wanna show you a verse. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 9 and 10. In the New Living Translation, it said, each time he said, my grace is all you need. My power works best in what? Say it again. My power works best in what? Weakness. Now, time out, Steve. Time out. We're supposed to be the body of Christ. We're the head and not the tail. We're above and only not beneath. We're above only not beneath. God is for me. Praise God. He, ho, him, hum. We're for it. Absolutely. All of that is true. But we got so many people exhausted because they use all their strength by trying to hide their weakness. There are 8 billion people on the planet. Now, this year, we crossed the threshold into the 8 billion mark in the world today as far as population. And the number one prison that 8 billion people live, on, live in in this planet is the fear of what other people are going to think. They will not go get the help that they need because their brain tells them, but what are people are going to think if I go ask for help? And it is that fear of what other people think that keeps you from the help and the community that you need to get some healing. I put a post out, I put a poll out on my social media earlier this year. put it out on Instagram and Facebook. And I said, which is harder for you to say? I'm sorry, or will you help me? Would you like to take a guess what the results of that poll was? 90%. Of responders said, it's harder for me to say, will you help me? than I'm sorry. 90%. And it's probably even higher in the church. Because we've got this twisted thinking. I've got Jesus and I'm a Christian. People are going to think I have no faith if I go and ask for help. That's such a lie from the pit of hell. Every single one of us needs help. But in order to get help, friend, this is not on the screen. I would encourage you to write this down. Help requires humility. Let me say it again. Help requires humility. It takes a willingness to go to a trusted friend, a trusted advisor, a trusted pastor and say, can we go to lunch? Can we have coffee? I need to visit with someone. I'm not doing okay. I'm not doing okay. But the first step, I want you to put that next statement up there for me. The first step in dealing with our weaknesses is that we have to stop denying them. Denying weakness is not going to solve it. You cannot deny your weaknesses away. In the book of Matthew chapter 16, Jesus had done, done finished preaching in an area called Caesarea Philippi. And yet he asked another rhetorical question. The disciples are with him. He says, hey, I want to ask y'all something. They say, what's up? He said, who do people say that I am? Again, he, he's not wondering who he is. He knows the answer. He doesn't have an identity crisis, but he's setting them up. And they said, well, some said you're Elijah. Some said Jeremiah. Some say John the Baptist resurrected from the dead or one of the prophets. But then he asked a million-dollar question to them that I submit to us this morning on this first day of the year. But then he turned to him and said, but who do you say that I am? Who am I to you? And the reason I have this dartboard is where does Jesus land on this dartboard of your life? Is he in the outer rink? Is he maybe a little bit closer? Maybe this rink? Because you see, when I'm going through a hard time and I'm struggling... Russ, I got two to three people right in here. And that's all that's supposed to fit in here. The people that know the nitty gritty about you is not supposed to be out here in this outer circle. Your true, true friends and confidants are gonna fit in here. But as they zoom this camera in on my hands on on the dash, on on the dartboard here, my question to you is, where is Jesus to you in the dartboard of your life? Because if he's right here, when you're going through something, he's the one that you're calling. But if he's not, he's maybe your eighth or ninth option out here. But let me tell you the wonderful thing about him. When we get burned by someone in life, we go, I'm done with you. You violated my trust, we're done. Others do the three-strike rule. Three strikes with me, I'm done with you. You know how many strikes the Father has with us? Infinite. He's not the God of the second chance. He's the God of the 587th chance. That no matter how much you've messed up, his arms are still wide open for you to come home. But oftentimes we feel that in church, if we've messed up, I gotta run the other way. But it's just like we said. Religion says, I messed up, my dad's gonna kill me. But the gospel and grace says, I messed up, I need to call my dad. I need to go and run back into his arms. Because the thing about him is he will always, always, take you back second to last statement although we do all suffer the people who suffer the most are the people who suffer alone the people who pretend that everything is fine long before march 2020 we've been wearing masks in church Steve, what are you talking about i ain't wearing no mask up in here no it's the fake mask that you're dying on the inside And you're a walking volcano and all you've done is suppress every single hurt and emotion and divorce and adultery and everything that you've been dealing with and you've just shoved it down. Then you put the mask in when you come into this house and you walk in the door and you go, hey, brother, how's it going? Blessed and highly favored. God is good. And all the time, God is good. Well, Steve, are you saying I shouldn't say that? Isn't it a true statement? Of course it is. But when are you being vulnerable and real with somebody? It doesn't have to be with the greeter there, but who are you being vulnerable and open with in your life that has earned the right to hear your story? And I wanna tell you a story in conclusion that happened about eight months into the pandemic. I was in the grocery store, lost and confused just as much as anybody else. There were arrows on the grocery store line that told me which way to walk and I wanted to make sure I was walking in the right direction. And I had my cart full of organic chocolate chip cookies and ice cream and crackers and all. Don't be judging me. It was a hard time for everybody, okay? So I'm walking along with my cart, and I noticed a gentleman, and I recognized him by his eyeballs because he had a mask on. And I looked at him. I said, hey, man, how you doing? It's good to see you. How you doing? And he looked at me, puffed his chest out. Kelsey, and he goes, Steve, I am fantastic. I am doing amazing. I pulled my little cart of organic, healthy food off to the side. I said, what's your secret, brother? He goes, what do you mean? I said, I'm serious. What are you doing the past eight months to be fantastic and amazing that the rest of us are losing our minds? I said, what's the secret? I said, what's your Venmo? What's your Apple Pay? I'll pay you right now. We'll have a therapy session in the frozen food section. What is the secret? His eyes welled up with tears. And he looked down and he said... I'm not fantastic. I'm not amazing. He said, my wife and I argue every day and I'm not sure we're gonna make it. My kids are struggling like crazy in school. They're struggling with this online learning. I don't know if they're gonna pass. He said, and my job is going through another round of cuts this week and I think I'm on the short list and I think I'm gonna lose my job. For the next 20 minutes, I did nothing but stand there and listen and care. And at the end of it, he wiped his eyes. Then like that, he said, I'm so sorry. I said, you got nothing to apologize to me for. I said, how does that feel? He said, better. I said, so now I wanna ask you a question. I said, how you doing? He said, I'm not okay, but I'm going to be. I said, doesn't that feel better? He said, but yes, Steve, but the difference is people would just ask how you doing and they keep on going and they never stop to listen. I'm no hero. I just took a moment to do that. And as we close, I want you to understand something. It's a math ratio called two to one. I want you to take both of your hands, put them on your earlobes like this. Whether you've got hanging earlobes or they're attached to your head, grab them things. How many ears you got? Two. Now I want you to put your hand right underneath your mouth. How many you got? So that means by design, we were designed to listen twice as much as we talk. These never close. But this can. But in our day and age, we get it twisted. We talk twice as much as we listen and we wonder why we never learn anything about anybody. You want to learn something about someone and care about them? Ask a question and then be quiet. You don't have to fix their problems because so many times in the church, they try to tell you their problem and then you try to solve it. It's the same as well-meaning Christians who are at a funeral and then they say, oh, God just needed them. They got their angel wings. Shut up and just love on them. Hold them, hug them, cry with them. Well, Steve, no one does that for me. The Bible says you will reap what you sow. If you start sowing seeds of friendship, you know what you will reap? Friendship. Someone caring about you. When's the last time you reached out and said, text and said, hey, brother, thinking about you. You doing okay? Sis, you came up in my mind. You doing all right? Well, Steve, what if they don't tell me the truth? That's not your responsibility. Your responsibility is simply to reach out and be a friend. Show them that you care. So many times we see all these celebrities. The Twitch, the guy, the DJ for Ellen, 40 years old. Every day on his Instagram would post dancing videos with his wife, 40 years old, 12 days before Christmas, walked down to a hotel and took his life in a bathtub, 12 days before Christmas, multi-millionaire, celebrity. People will say, why? I don't know why. I don't know the man. But so often in the church, we'll tell someone, hey man, you got a broken arm, let me pray for you. You got cancer, we're going to believe God, we're going to pray together. But then all of a sudden, when we say we're struggling mentally and emotionally, now you got the plague. And now no one wants to pray with you. Why? Struggling up here is no different than struggling with cancer. If it's a struggle, it's a struggle. And you got to be able to open up to someone and say, I need help. Final statement. Jesus transcends and is above all generational traits and tendencies. So many times when I'm out on the road, if I'm talking about generations, I'll have those of an older persuasion come up to me and say, Steve, these young people, man, they're soft. They're snowflakes. They got no work ethic, they're lazy, they're entitled, and all they ever wanna do is talk about their feelings. They just want gold stars for getting a good job. But do you realize when it comes to mental health, this current generation of Generation Z is 75% willing to open up about their issues than their grandparents are. And you know what I say to the young people willing to open up about how you are not doing okay? I'm proud of you. Because help requires humility. And friends, let me tell you something in this social media driven world. God cannot bless who you pretend to be. God doesn't bless your avatar or the profile that you create for everyone to see. He sees the real you. Remember, Jeremiah 17, 9. Don't trust in your heart. That thing is wicked and deceitful. You gotta trust in the Lord. Think about this. Think about this dartboard. Next time you play darts, you're gonna think of this Asian. what's a mage? A Mexican who could pass for Asian. Gonna mess you up on this dartboard for the rest of your life. Where do you want Jesus to be on this board for you? Let me tell you something. He'll love you out here. He'll love you here. He'll love you here. He'll love you anywhere on this board. But to get the full extent of that relationship You got to let him into that nitty gritty, into those things that you've never told anybody else. Because so often in this world, we tell ourselves, I just got to be a man. I just got to be a woman. Got to put my big girl pants on and I got to handle it. Some of you might be, and this just came to me by the Holy Spirit right now. Some of you are dealing with a court case right now. I have no idea who I'm talking to. And you are at your wit's end, having no idea which way it's going to go as it's going to affect you, as it's going to affect your family or your children. And my word to you, to that person or persons today is you got to step back and let Jesus step up. When you leave it at the foot of Jesus, don't go pick it back up like we're prone to do. I do that. Jesus, I'm going to trust you. Put it right there. And then I start my stopwatch. All right, God, go. Okay, maybe I need to take it back and I need to work on it a little bit more. That is not trusting in the Lord with all of my heart. When I lay it down, I got to lay it down. But then, I, then we would say, God, it's too late for me. And this is where God whispers, we don't operate by the same watch. My ways are higher than your ways. My thoughts are higher than your thoughts. Every head bowed and every eye closed. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day. Father, I've delivered this message exactly as your spirit gave it to me. Now with every head bowed and every eye closed, I would be remiss in not giving you an opportunity to accept Jesus as Lord. You've been hearing me talk about this man who rescued a woman caught in the act of adultery. You heard me talk about a man who stepped up and saved his disciples. A man who says, I'm strong when you're weak. And perhaps you've never made a public declaration of faith to say that I believe in my heart that Jesus is Lord and that God raised him from the dead. This chance is yours. I'm not going to embarrass you, but I am going to ask you to do something. If that person is you, man, woman, boy, girl, male, female, if you're in this room and you say, Steve, I have never accepted Jesus as my Lord and Savior, but I want to today. On the count of three, I'm just going to ask you to slip your hand up right where you are. One, two, three. Say, Steve, I've never accepted Jesus, but I want to today. Praise God. We're all family in the house. Call number two before the worship team takes us home. You would say, Steve, this message is for me. While I may not have committed adultery, I am guilty of some things. And I've been beating myself up over it. Steve, I'm like Peter. I've had my sword out and I've just been swinging and fighting and just getting angry, thinking it's going to solve my problems. I just got to be strong. But you would say, Steve, I got to get weak in order for him to get strong. I got to step back so he can step up. In whatever area of your life that that might apply to you, if you'd say, Steve, would you pray with me? the count of three, I'm just going to ask you to slip your hand up right where you are. One, two, three. No hesitation. I see those hands. Praise God. I see that hand. I see those hands. I see that hand. Praise God. You can put your hands down. For those of you who didn't raise your hand or those that should, let me pray this over you. Heavenly Father, in the name that is above every name, the name of Jesus Christ, for those that raised their hand and those that wanted to, Holy Spirit, I ask that you would give them the strength and give them the courage and teach them to begin how to step back and trust you more in that area of their life where they're struggling. Jesus, you see what we don't see. You see the hurt, you see the damage that's been done, you see the guilt and the shame and the embarrassment that has been plaguing them all throughout the year. But Father, we declare January 1st, 2023, that it ends today. We thank you for your grace that breaks the bounds of shame and embarrassment. We thank you for the grace and the power that breaks the chains of sin over the people in in here and those watching online. Mm -hmm. Father, I thank you that they didn't come to hear me, but they came to hear and receive a word from you. And we declare that beginning with this first day of 2023, that they will choose to be weak and let you be strong and take a step back while you step up. We honor you and we thank you for it in Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen. Amen.